Hello, and welcome to Just Figure It Out, a podcast to inspire and encourage our listeners to pursue their goals. This will be done by sharing stories and experiences from guests about how they made definite goals, how they failed and succeeded, but never gave up. In essence, how they just figured it out. My name is Jen McAllister, the host, also the owner of Rice CPA and Accountants. And today we are privileged to hear from Ben Eden. I'm so happy that he's joined us. He's a professional speaker, a high performance coach, and the author of How We See Ourselves. And everything that I've learned about him so far is just right in line with this podcast. And so this is going to be really great today. So for starters, you know, you tell us a little bit more about yourself and then start into something that you had to just figure it out. Well, thank you, Jan. I'm, I'm happy to be here and thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to have this conversation about just figuring things out because, hey, that's what we all do in business. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very interesting because we come from a background of, okay, if we're in a family, you know, the parents are t telling you what to do in a lot of ways. And you go to school and people tell you what to do, how to get the grade, what classes you should take. And, and they pretty much give you a life's journey that says, go to school, go to college, get married, get a job and that kind of stuff. So you're pretty well told what to do. And then you get into the corporate world and there's still an aspect of somebody tells you what needs to be done. This project, this deadline, you need to figure it out. Okay, great. But then you get into entrepreneurship and a lot of that direction is not there. <laughs> And so it can be scary. I mean, I used to be an HR executive. So I went through that corporate journey. But at the same time, I was on the side of I had to create a lot of the policies for everybody else to where a lot of people go into work saying, okay, what am I supposed to do? And how is this supposed to work? I was on the end of, I don't know, I guess we get to decide how it works and what it's supposed to look like. So there were times where it was pretty darn scary, but I was happy to be able to figure it out because I had the support, right? And then in my entrepreneurship journey now, I'll share a quick example. Actually, as I was nearing the end of my HR executive position, I discovered coaching and I discovered speaking. I actually went to a conference, an employee engagement conference. And as I was listening to the speaker, I felt, why am I not on that stage? I just <laughs> felt this yearning to be up there. And I was so excited to do it. And so... I actually made a goal that I would speak on their stage one year later. And it was interesting because I was like, oh, this isn't even my world. I don't know how that's going to happen. But as soon as I left that conference, I called my payroll company and I said, hey, you're having a conference. Can I speak at it? <laughs> and, and they were like, we'll get back to you. We were one of their biggest clients, but you know, having clients speak at their conferences wasn't a super normal thing. Yeah. But they got to me and said, yeah, we'd be happy to have you speak. So I flew to October, sorry, I flew to Chicago that October, spoke at their stage, loved it. And I said, yes, this is what I want to do full time now. Because I was starting to do it as an HR executive, I would speak at least twice a year. And I was loving that. Anyway, fast forward, I left my HR executive position in February of 2020. Good timing, I know. <laughs> but I felt called to do so. So I know it was the right thing to do. And I've never looked back. And it was almost to the day that I left, but I got a call from that company that I was at that first conference. And they said, Hey, we'd love to have you speak at our conference. And I was like, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I bet you were both surprised and not surprised because you had manifested that you had set your goal and you knew what it was. So how did you feel in that moment when they, when you got that call? 
Well, I felt absolutely amazing because first of all, I was going from an HR executive role where I had the bachelor's degree, the, match, the master's degree, and I was a senior certified professional. So as far as education and experience, I had climbed the ladder. Mm -hmm. Then I was going into a world where I have excitement, I have ideas, but I'm new. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so I didn't really know how to start. But when I left, I mean, I had some podcast interviews lined up, which I had never done before. And I was terrified, let me tell you. Uh -huh. And but then this speaking gig came out. And so for me, where I just felt, you know, I'm a God fearing man. And I just felt like he was telling me this is what you need to do. And then at the same time, these other things that were kind of collaborating and saying that, that everything is lining up for me I, it was just another manifestation of this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing yeah oh that's amazing so before you were at that event and you know you you felt that you wanted to be up on that stage that's where you should be were there any other indicators you know preparations I'll call them you know from God that kind of helped you see that this is where your life was going or was that kind of the first thing that happened to you well, it's a great question. And I will give you the uh, little extended version of the story. If that's okay. Yeah. So actually my desire to become a motivational speaker started when I was young, a kid, you know, when they ask you what you want to be when you grow up, I said, yeah, I want to be an inspirational speaker. Awesome. But when I was nine years old, that dream was shot because I was in elementary school and we were actually playing dodgeball and I was loving the game of dodgeball. I was realizing that I was good at sports and my friends were starting to realize that I was good at sports. And I was starting to develop that self-esteem as a nine-year-old saying, wow, these guys like what I do. And I was feeling like I was belonging. And at the end of this game, after we won, we left, we were going out of the gym and I can still remember it today where my friends, as we were leaving, they were laughing hysterically about something. And of course I wanted to be involved. So I said, hey guys, what's so funny? And they turned to me and they said, raise your arms. And I was confused, but I was like, well, I'll go along with it, I guess. So I raised my arms and I discovered that I had extremely sweaty armpits. And you might think, okay, nine years old, what's the big deal? Sweaty armpits, everybody sweats. But here I was nine years old, not knowing how the body works. Yeah. And it must've been a whole lot worse than anybody else because otherwise, why would my friends be laughing hysterically about it? And so what I experienced that day is my friends laughing hysterically at me. And when they discovered the sweaty armpits and they said, ew, that's gross, that's disgusting, I understood that it was me who was gross mm. and that it was me who was disgusting. So therefore, there was something wrong with me. And I experienced emotions that I had no idea how to handle, you know, the shame, the embarrassment, the fear. And because I didn't know how to deal with it, I didn't want to tell anybody else. So I never even told my mom. For 20 years, nobody knew what had happened to me. And here's how it translates to speaking. I thought, well, there's no way I can be a speaker because you have to be on stage. And a lot of speakers use their arms. And if I'm going to do that, then people will notice the sweaty armpits and they're certainly not going to listen to my message. And what if they laugh at me just like my friends did? So that dream was destroyed for many, many years. How do you get past that? So, and this is actually a story I put in my book that I wrote, How We oh, See Ourselves. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 20 years later, I had discovered that I had turned to three different things to try to fix my emotions. Okay. So something happened when I was nine years old. I didn't like it. So one, I tried ignoring it and I tried to be, oh, I'm just going to try to have a normal life and go to dances, go to parties, go on dates and hope it doesn't come up as an issue. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Very embarrassing, right? So ignoring, I tried that. When that didn't work, I tried to hide behind a shield of success. 
And I would keep everybody at arm's length behind, you know, me behind this shield of success saying, hey, I'm going to be amazing at HR. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to have, I'm going to be the top graduate at college. You know, everything that I did, I wanted to be the best so that people would think, wow, Ben is amazing instead of, ew, Ben is gross. Mm. Right. So I hid behind the shield of success. But then when that didn't work, when I was top of my HR world, I was an executive in my 20s, traveling the world, having the house, the car, and whatever else everybody thinks you should have at 20. I felt like I had nowhere to go. I didn't know how to continue to grow. And I still felt, well, there's this part of me that I don't control, that I'm not proud of, and that I can't tell anyone about. So I was suffering in silence. And to hide that suffering in silence, I turned to my coping mechanisms. We all have coping mechanisms. And mine turned, mine turned into the world of addiction. And after a while of living in this addiction, I was tired of living, let's say the double life, right? Where everybody mm -hmm. says, oh, Ben's amazing over here. And then, you know, me on my own, I think, mm, I'm, I just don't feel as amazing. In fact, I hated myself because of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. It finally came to a point where I said, something has to change. I am tired of living this double life. I'm not happy in either place and something has to change. So again, the full story is in the book, but the short version is I went to therapy and I discovered that what I was doing did not define me. I could separate my emotions from my behaviors and none of those defined me. And that's big reason why I wrote the book, how we see ourselves. Because often we see ourselves by our results or the lack thereof, mm -hmm. or we define ourselves based on our behaviors, right? Or in your example, you mentioned you're an accountant, mm -hmm. right? So that's almost that, that we can use that as a definition sometimes because I do accounting, I'm an accountant and whatever mm -hmm. that means to you, right? And even earlier where you said, hey, I'm doing a podcast and people think, well, you're an accountant. And so for them, it's like, well, those two don't mesh. And in our head at first, wait, I'm an accountant. Can I be a podcaster as well? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> There's that confusion. Mm -hmm. But again, the book goes through how this works because we have emotions, we have thoughts, we have beliefs, and it all comes down to how we see ourselves. And at this moment in my story, I saw myself as broken, worthless, unlovable, and that there was certainly something wrong with me. But I went to therapy and discovered how to rewrite my memories and reprogram my brain and see all of these things differently so that I resolved my emotions and all of a sudden realized, wow, I am still a good person. Even though I feel this way, even though I've done some things, and even though this happened when I was nine years old, and then I was able to change everything. When I changed the way I saw myself, my world changed. So powerful. You know, and I've heard that more often lately, but we just, we underestimate the power in how we see ourselves. So yeah, please continue. This just really resonates. Yeah, I could go on forever about how we see ourselves. So we're going to go on to that in a second. But just to wrap this part up where, you know, I went from seeing myself as nothing, even though I had the HR executive title and I didn't live up to it, to seeing that, wow, I am still amazing. I still have amazing capabilities and I don't have to be defined by all this nonsense. I came out of this, right? Like I said, I saw myself differently. So I saw my world differently. And all of a sudden I started to think, hmm, if I had the quote unquote picture perfect life that people said I had, and yet I suffered in silence. I wonder if that happens to anybody else. So I asked my professional friends and I, you know, I asked them, do you guys ever suffer in silence? Or have you ever felt this way? And they said, bro, we all feel this way. The problem is nobody talks about it. Mm -hmm. So I made that my mission because we experience it, but we feel like we have to hide. 
Mm -hmm. And so actually I'll show you this picture on the book. So there's mirrors, right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes maybe, maybe people see this part of us, the amazing potential, but we're staring at this mirror, all of our imperfections, all of our, all of our mistakes and who we think we can never be. But how we change how we see ourselves through a lot of definitions and conversations in your world changes. It's amazing. I'm, I'm just repeating myself, but this is huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what has your experience been so far? I mean, is this the beginning of your journey and it's just, you know, about to, to take off? I mean, have you seen, are there any experiences that you've seen where you've um, witnessed someone that you've been helping and what a, what a change you've witnessed in their lives? Oh, Absolutely. And the reason why, now, first of all, the title of how we see ourselves came to me. I think it was inspired. I think God says, hey, you need this to be the title of the book. Awesome. Mm -hmm. But another thing that came to me when I was working with my clients is that when they made a huge change, they would often use a phrase, something like, that's not me anymore, or the old me would do this. So they completely saw themselves as a different person. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think of, let's say, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, they always talk about the old person. The old person was drinking, but the new me doesn't do that anymore. Hmm. And in, in fact, I helped a client. He's a director, so high level in his company. Lots of people report to him and he's been there for many years, but he wouldn't open up to people. And he had this world similar to mine. Hey, top of the world, but not everything is great, but I can't tell anybody. And his coping mechanism was drinking. And his dad was a drinker. So he had some limiting beliefs and all sorts of things. But he came up to a point where he had to change for himself. He had to change. So he said, I need to get rid of drinking. Now I could have, and I, I talk about something called the Eden model in my book. So it goes through aspects that we all experience, but most people say, I want a different result, which for him is I don't want to drink anymore. Okay. So he starts on behaviors and I could have said, all right, well, when do you drink and let's stop. And we could have focused on that, but that wouldn't have gone very far. Why? Because everybody chooses their behavior based on an emotional need. So if we don't understand our emotions, how are we supposed to change our behaviors on a long-term basis? So we went to his emotions, but then we understood how he talks to himself. We understood some of his beliefs, but ultimately we talked about how he saw himself. And when he saw himself, not as how he saw his dad, as somebody who drinks and was never there for the family and everything else, but somebody who he wanted to be, I want to be a father that my children love to be with, that we create amazing memories and that my wife loves and we have an amazing family. When he focused on that version of himself, he went sober. I am not surprised. And that is just, it's beautiful and heartbreaking that people don't recognize that. I mean, you talked about, it's not about changing the behaviors because that's just on the outside, but it's all of the reasons from the inside Wow. So one of the thoughts that I was thinking, you know, as you were talking about this is why is it taboo for men in particular and boys to feel like they can't talk about emotions? Like how do you even get guys to admit that they need to tap into their emotions? You know, tell me a little bit more about that because I know it's a thing that it's just hard for guys to be able to, and, and women too, but it just seems like even more so that guys have to be tough and, you know, how do you make someone feel comfortable enough to even reach out, to contact you, to have a desire to read your book and not feel like they're less of a man? That's a great question. So I'll give a bit of background. First, 
we have to start with a new understanding, right? Because most of us, most of the men in this situation that we're talking about were raised in a family and a culture that tells them you need to rub some dirt in it and get over it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Oh, you feel I'm sorry. Quit crying and get back up. You know? Mm-hmm. So the boys are taught if you have an emotion, uh, you know, throw it under the rug and move on. And you have to be tough. You have to be the, the man. You have to be in charge. You have to be successful. You have to be this, 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 this. And none of that includes you can feel, you can be sad, you can be scared. You, none of that. You just mm-hmm. have to be stoic. Yeah. So one of the societal lessons that we've learned is that even leaders in business, it says in, in order to be successful, you just have to be strict. You can't care. It's business above all else. And there's no room for emotions. You know, the unspoken expectation at work is that you leave your emotions at the door. So men who I need to provide, I need to be successful. I need to climb the corporate ladder. That means no room for emotions. So anyway, there's just a lot of reasons why men are so closed off that way. Then back to your question, well, how do we open them up? Mm-hmm. We've come a long way in the last four years. So first of all, February of 2020 is when I left, I left my position. I'm a male, successful professional. And I said, this is a need. I have a solution. Let me offer it to people. I turned right around to my HR associations and said, I have this solution. And they said at the time, well, we don't talk about emotions at work. <laughs> of course. Okay. <laughs> but then the pandemic hit and everybody was like, oh, what are these emotions? Yeah. Mental health. Oh, we need to talk about these things, right? So we've come a long way and I'm part, I'm contracted with a company that helps people as a benefit in corporations. I'm a member of a lot of networking groups of men who are open to just talking about life, right? This mm-hmm. is just a safe place to talk about life while you build your business. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming more and more of a thing. But I'll give you an example. Just today, I have a client who's top of his field. His company earns awards all the time, doing super well. He earns lots of money. So he's very successful. But at the same time, he has learned to put up walls and not express emotions, even though he would love to, to his family. And he knows the benefit it would have on his company, right? And so this was our fourth session today together. And it was when, just because we've started to build a rapport that he's learned that, oh, I can express my emotions and it's okay. You know, we call it vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. So we need a safe place to share and know that it's okay. And then have somebody help you know how to get it through. Does this make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I'm just thinking about, you know, there's so many addictions, they're rampant. And if people could just see it for what it is, right? Like, like I've got this addiction and instead of, you know, white, you know, white knuckle it or just be strong to see that as the sign, the red flag that it, it's something else and to be able to, you know, recognize that it's, it's something within that needs to be fixed. And it's, it's, you know, it can't be anything else. It, it needs to be looked at differently. And what's in, what's interesting about that, and there's a specific chapter in my book on this, because to the point of labels and how we see ourselves, somebody who has an addiction, I mean, notice how we talk about it. They have an addiction. They have a problem. It's mm-hmm, how it sounds, mm-hmm. right? And then when people think about it, it's, I have a problem. I don't know how to solve it. So therefore there must be something wrong with me. And now it's impossible. And then everybody judges me. If they know about my addiction, then I'm defined by that addiction. A, a, you know, alcoholic, druggists, whatever. Yeah. Or if they don't know about it, 
I can never tell anybody about it. So that's what happens because we mm -hmm. don't have that understanding. But instead of defining ourselves by our behavior, whether it's addictive or not, we can realize, oh, it's in a behavior that I turn to. Why? It must be an emotional need. And what is that? And how can I understand that? And when you go through this Eden model, it breaks it down for everybody. Mm -hmm. means, this is why I do it. And when you understand why you do it, you realize you don't have to do it anymore. Right. So I see this is so valuable and I'm thinking still like it, it's still um, prideful for anyone, men or women to, to admit that they need to tap into their emotions. We'll just put it that way and be, and be vulnerable. And the, you know, can they reach out to you? Yes. And fantastic for those that can do that. Can they order your book? Yes. And that's a great, great thing to do, but there's still going to be many others that have that pride where, you know, they like, well, my wife would think I'm weird if I order this book. So, and then you, you mentioned that you're contracted to go to different corporations and talk to people. To me, that seems like such a great atmosphere to be able to, um, you know, like someone is like, oh, I had to do it but then they see the value in it. Like, do you have any specific goals to be able to reach more and more people? Like what, what are your goals? Yes. So, and this will answer both of the questions you're kind of asking there. First of all, with this book that I just published last November, I have a goal, a manifested goal that I will sell 1 million copies this year. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Right. And you'll do it. Yeah, exactly. And I'm doing all sorts of amazing things to program my mind and to team up and do things that I've never done before to make it happen. And I have history of success, or as Tony Robbins calls it, patterns of success that show mm -hmm. me what has worked and I'm repeating it to make it get there. Anyway, when people can read this, here, here's how to answer this other question. If some people are like, man, I'm just too prideful. I don't see why I, why I would need to talk about my emotions. I've been fine until this point, right? Most people don't come to me first for their emotions mm -hmm. at least they don't say that yeah they usually come to me saying hey i want to grow my business or i have this employee issue or i need to make this tough decision and i don't know how to do it mm -hmm. and so i help them through that so the, the subtitle for my book is the model for lasting results and fulfillment so if somebody's already top of their game and things are going really well and they just say i want to get even further then great that's what the book's for how do you get further and at the same time, this happens to every single person. In order to get farther, you have to deal with some old things that have been holding you back, which happen to be old behaviors, old emotions, old thoughts, old beliefs, and old identities. And when you can understand that, there's just a logical process that every single person goes through, and it's no longer taboo, it's no longer weird, it's, man, I wish everybody knew this. Right, right. It's like when you've got a favorite movie or a favorite treat or restaurant, you feel the goodness and you want to tell everybody. And so I would hope the same thing, you know, someone is able to improve their, um, you know, the, how they see themselves and they just need to tell everyone else like, oh, you should do this too. And I hope that that's ha that happens. I can't say anything. I can't even sum up what you've said any better than how you've done it. So I'm not even going to try, but I do, I am interested in, you know, I, I like that you set specific goals and I'm interested in that 1 million copies sold. So tell me, are there like benchmarks along the way that you're, you're checking in and seeing how you're doing and have you made some pivots? Because I think, you know, creating a goal, whatever goal it is, large or small, 
then you, you've got to have those measurable, those benchmarks, and then you've got to be able to pivot and do things a little bit differently. So tell me about specifics that you have set. Absolutely. That's a great question. So first of all, uh, to the theme of this podcast, just figuring it out. Have I ever published a book like this before? No. Have I ever sold a million copies before? No. Have most people sold a million copies before? No. Right? So is there a step-by-step -step guide on how to make it happen? No. <laughs> so there's a lot of just figuring it out. But here's what I have learned, and it is backed by many of the successful uh, thought leaders in the past 200 years plus. But they all start with mindset. Strategy has a place. But if you start with strategy, you'll just be frustrated. Mm -hmm. So you start with mindset and how I do it is how I see myself. I start by how I see myself. If I originally said, well, I'm a speaker, I'm a former HR executive, but I just don't know if I'm an author, mm -hmm. then I wouldn't get very far. But I literally have something that I listen to every single day. And this is something that I work on with my coaching clients is there. I call it a power statement. So mine, I listen to every day and it says it is December 31st, 2024. I am a successful, best-selling author. A publisher picked up my book and took it to 1 million copies sold. And I have a team of people that help me with bookings, podcasts, sales, and everything else to help me make this happen and impact as many people as possible. And my Eden model has become so popular that I've created a certification program to help people in its method. So that's my power statement. And guess what? The way I say it says it's already happened. Mm-hmm. Then to your point of, of uh, milestones, right? How do I know if I'm getting there? Mm -hmm. Well, I have my monthly and my quarterly and my weekly and say, what am I going to do to make this happen? Sometimes it changes and that's where I have to pivot. Sometimes my focus is networking. Sometimes my focus is applying to publishers. Sometimes my focus is who else can I have on my team to make this happen? But because my mindset is there first, then I don't give up. Where otherwise it's like, shoot, it's February 22nd and I, I just don't think I'm close, you know? Yes. I could think that, but right now it's like, mm -mm, I believe it. Everybody who I tell believes it, so it's going to happen. Yes, absolutely love that. You have to visualize it. It has to be so clear. You can touch it and you can taste it. And I can sense that in you for sure. And the other thing is, is that you're doing this, um, you've got a great passion. You've got a, you, when I meet successful people, it's always about, helping other people. I mean, you know, like your business can be a myriad of different things, but the core value when you're helping other people, that's the common denominator. And I see that very clearly that you want to take what you've learned and the struggles that you've been through and try to help other people not have to go through the, the 20 years of struggle that you did or more. And so the passion that is, that's what will drive success. You know, that's one of many things that will drive success. So, I mean, I could tell you, I, I'm listening to you and, and hearing your passion, but if you could put it in a sentence or two, what is it that gets you up in the morning each day and encourages, encourages you along this journey that you're on right now? What is, what's the passion? Well, mine literally is that I feel like it's a calling from God. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when I know that God is backing me, then it means Whatever I do is going to work out. And with faith like that, I'm going to get up and I'm going to work. Yes, <laughs> I love it. And this has been such a great conversation. I just noticed the time is almost out. So with that, please tell us, tell our listeners all the ways that they can find your book, connect with you, and let's help spread the word of this amazing book that you've written. 
Well, thank you. And so here's something I found out as I'm just figuring it out. Apparently there are over 40,000 places where you can post a book to be sold. So it's, it's cool. Every time I go onto Google and look up my book, then there's a new place that it has it. I found out that it's on Walmart yesterday. I was like, mm, that's cool. So anyway, you can go to my website called howweseeourselves.com and learn more about the book or literally anywhere you can buy a book is where you'll find it. Nice. It was best launched on Audible a couple of days ago. So it'll su- it is on Audible and it'll soon be on any uh, platform that has, e- or sorry, audiobooks. So really anywhere you want to go, just look up how we see ourselves and you'll find it. Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much for being here on the podcast today. I'm excited about this. I love to see other people succeed and I'm, I'm talking about you, but I'm also really more talking about any listener, anyone who can get their hands on this book and just anyone who can lead a better life um, with a, a better self-image, which is more success and leaving our old selves behind. So I just love all of it. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been a pleasure to have you on, on the podcast. And I'm just going to have to sign off now and say, this is Jen McAllister, the host of Just Figure It Out and the owner of Rise CPA and Accountants. Until next time, friends.